Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So this is a momentous occasion. Uh, Jim Coburn has rejoined us, and we are live. Uh, I am back with my world-traveling ghost. And uh, it's a great it's a great day for so many reasons. Uh, it's an interesting college football season, and Jim is playing a little bit of catch up in terms of just being back in the country. But uh, it's we have a definite feeling now of you know where the break point is between the the haves or the goods or the greats or the whatever you want to call them, teams and the teams that are something other than that. And obviously this particular week will help a lot with that as we're going to lose at least one undefeated team with NC State playing Clemson. And it's one of those games where there will be a lot of scouts in the stands, obviously, as you have the Clemson D-line which is maybe not quite as good as advertised, but it's good. And what has been revealed this year is that once you get beyond the Clemson D-line, Clemson's defense as a whole is maybe not, <laughs> maybe not quite up to par. Uh, but we're going to talk a lot about uh, prospects and teams and all that good stuff. But most of all, I just want to Enjoy the moment as I'm rejoined by the one, the only, Mr. Jim Coburn. How are we doing, Jim? Pretty good. Uh, as Terrell Owens uh, said, get your popcorn ready. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got my popcorn ready. Excellent. Well, it's an exciting time. Um, so since you've been gone, for the first time now, as this game kicks, as the game kicks off today, for the first time in just about 20, almost exactly 20 years, there will be an Oklahoma game without a Stukes brother of any sort on the sidelines in Oklahoma. So for 20 consecutive years, uh, since John Blake was shown the door and Stoops was brought in from Florida where he'd been the defensive coordinator under Steve Spurrier. That's how long ago they didn't have one of the, some Stoops brother of some sort. Because even once uh, Bob Stoops left, he left behind uh, one of his brothers uh, to, as, a, as a D coordinator. His other brother went on to take over the job at uh, Kentucky. And after he um, had sort of, and the other brother, the one who just recently got fired from being the D coordinator at, uh, at, uh, at uh, Oklahoma, had been at one point the Arizona head coach before he gave way to Rich Rodriguez, who later gave way to Kevin Sumlin. But uh, enough about that. First of all, uh, it's great to have you back. How, how are you doing, Jim? 
I'm doing well. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, let's see. UCF still undefeated. I mean, that's you know, once again, evergreen tweet. Uh, no one's not not that anyone cares really, but uh, Mackenzie Milton and Mason Fine lighten it up. No one cares. Uh, Mackenzie Milton will probably be a guy that just misses getting a trip to New York. I mean, I think he may end up maybe somewhere in the top seven or so in Heisman Trophy voting, and you know, whatever. I don't. I don't understand how it, I do understand how it works, but I mean I don't understand why it works the way it does. Uh, obviously, Tua is everybody's sort of odds on favorite. He, the only way he doesn't make it is catastrophic injury. Uh, I can't see anything else that would derail the Tua trade at this point. So short of an injury that ends his season soon. I mean, you know, if he if he makes it. You know, through at least the regular season unscathed, physically speaking, he's he's got almost half to win the trophy. Dwayne Haskins will probably finish second or no lower than lower than third, I would think, in the voting. Daryl Henderson should get some votes, but won't. Um, I just can't understand why people don't talk about Daryl Henderson at all, at all. But uh, at least not not as much as they should. I mean, the guy is doing things that don't get done. I don't know how to put it. Um, and then some of the other quarterbacks like uh, Will Greer and at one point even Jared Stidham and uh, Tyler Murray hasn't fallen completely off the map, but he's probably fallen back to about a fourth. Uh, but yeah, so a uh, bunch of teams that people thought were really, really good are probably good. I mean, Oklahoma is still a good team, but not an elite-level team. And, you know, once again, Evergreen tweet, because of their defense, uh, they won't have a quite enough to, to get where they'd like to go. Texas is confusing. They might be good. I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone really knows what Texas is. I mean, they're, I they're okay. Confused. Yeah. They're better than they were last year. They are definitely better than they were last year. But I, I couldn't tell you definitively how good. But the other team that, if they run the table, should be end up in the, you know, the final four. Probably not. But probably not, right. Right, yeah. I mean, right. I, I, think, I think when it comes to Texas, it's more of a – I mean, you have to understand the Big 12 has always, at least in my – like what's happened recently, like the last five years or so, it's always been kind of an up and down type of conference where you'll have a team like an Iowa State or a Texas or a whatever that that kind of upsets one of the big dogs in the conference. You know, like that's that's nothing new. You know, um, so that just seems to be the Big Twelve is that there, there's a lot of it doesn't look like there's a lot of parity in the Big Twelve, but when you actually think about it, there is a lot of like parity, at least when it comes to, like, the top five to six teams are kind of equal in terms of uh, what they do. Right. Right. So there's that. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, so you've got, you know, that that to, to contend with. Um, the other things to tell you. Uh, let's see. Well, the Big Ten is kind of 
back to sort of an old school kind of situation with Michigan, Ohio State, looking, I mean, like I said, it's one of those semi-evergreen, I guess, kind of things, and that it, this is how it used to be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, Michigan, Ohio State, yeah, that's, I mean, that was, for from the time I was a very small child, Jim, Michigan State would be, you know, good various years. Purdue, you know, bubbled up to the surface during the, uh, you know, the Drew Brees and a few other times they'd have some really hot quarterback and running that, that Joe Tiller offense. That that time was, you know, pretty new. Uh, and, like, shocking almost to the Susanville's and Big Ten guys. And then, you know, we'll never forget the 93, 94 uh, run of Northwestern, right? Northwestern made it to the Rose Bowl, baby, right? I mean, that's, they'll be living off of that for the next probably quarter century, you know, luckily. But, but for the most part, for so long, it was literally Michigan and Ohio State, you know, the big two and the other eight is how it was for a very, 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 very long time. And then that changed uh, relatively recently. Now, Ohio State, you know, clearly is going to be good every year now, the way the machine is built. I mean, it would take a lot, I'll put it that way, for something to happen, you know, for them to, to drop talking about to take place. It would take something reasonably severe. Right, I, I believe at least for that to happen. Then Michigan, Michigan is in the question mark, right? Because what was the reason, right? Why did people spend all this money and do all the things they did to bring in Coach Jim Harbaugh? Well, I mean, the real reason is to beat Ohio State, right? I mean, that's the honest. Like, that's the real reason. Yeah, but they're not going to beat Ohio State. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, that is the issue, isn't it? Uh, that is the real issue, right? I mean, I mean, okay. Is there a chance they could beat Ohio State this year? Yeah. Uh, you know, Iowa could de- – like, any team could beat Ohio State. Uh, well, not any team, but, you know, there's a handful of teams that could beat Ohio State. But it's – you have, you know, you have Nick Saban, and then you have Urban Meyer. You know, these are guys that, from the top to the bottom – are just able to make these crazy, ridiculous college programs. So you're a John Harbaugh. You're a great coach. You've proven at Stanford to build a pretty good program there, but are you going to be able to take down a juggernaut like Ohio State? I just don't think so long-term, unless yeah. Urban Meyer, like, moves on to another team, you know, or whatever he does, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. Not impossible, but it's tough. Yeah, uh, because so many things have to go have to go right for you to beat a team like that. So many things have to go right, uh, even to beat them once. You know, every, every few years, as most other teams in the in the in the conference know, it's just, you know, if you can get a a win, you know, <laughs> somewhere in your in your run there, that's something that most people are fairly proud of. Uh so I would say, you know, here's the last little piece of, I guess, big giant sort of news. As you may have heard, uh, Nick Bosa in a not exactly ground 
shaking, but I mean, I do think it's something you'll see more and more of. Guys who have a lot of money on the line with a season with a season or close to season-ending injury, I think increasingly you'll see those guys decide to shut it down. Even if it's a, something they could come back from in five or six or seven weeks that happens early in the season, I think you'll see those guys. I think that's the thing that'll change. If a guy is pretty sure he's going to go in the top 10, 15 picks of the draft, I believe if a guy you know breaks the collarbone or has a significant knee sprain, maybe not a tear, but a you know grade three knee sprain or a uh, you know the upper popular now core muscle injury that's an injury sensation that's sweeping the nation now. I think they just stop using the term abdominal because or or <laughs> or hernia or whatever because when I was coming up. They didn't call them that, but now the term is, I guess, core muscle injury is the big thing now. But I think guys with those kinds of injuries, guys, if a guy breaks a toe, if a guy, you know, something's going to take you out for half a season, I think you're going to see more and more guys decide to shut it down. Yeah, but my only my only issue with Bosa is film wise he does you know he's athletic he's you know he's 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 a fantastic player on film you know yes from an athletic standpoint but the leaving college early because of injury sort of stuff coupled with the fact that he never was a high usage player to begin with you know because if you look at just as you know because a lot of people talk you know people don't like to talk about stats when it comes to football players because, well, stats are bullshit or whatever. Um, which, you know, you could say either way about it, but when I look at a guy like Nick Bosa and I do my little data stuff on him and all that kind of stuff, the names that come up are guys like Cameron Wembley and, you know, Chauncey Davis and just from just from what he did on paper, D Ford, right? You know, and and don't get me wrong; these are good players. You know, these are decent all-around players, but they're not exactly the top ten overall players. You know, like he's not like a Joey Bosa, you know, if you will, uh, in terms of just his overall production. So, <clears throat> I do think Nick Bosa definitely is a fantastic player on film, and you see the flashes of athleticism and you know, crazy all these other sort of stuff, but you know, I, I think you have to step back and go, this is a guy that had low usage and now he's leaving college early because of injury. Like, are you going to get a guy like that for all 16 games in the NFL? If that makes any sense. Like, that that's my general question. Like, that's my biggest issue with the leave is it kind of, um, like, this was really a prove-it year for Nick Bosa from a statistical standpoint. You know, like this is the year where he's supposed to go off and have this crazy year and end up with like a, you know, Pro Bowl level or All Pro level production, and he didn't do that. You know, he's basically leaving injured, so that's that's my only sort of concern with Nick Bosa going forward. In fact, that's probably going to be the thing I'm going to be saying four months from now. Oh, again, is he may test athletic, he may have other sort of things, but you know, from a, on paper, you do have to question his ability to stay healthy. Uh, you know, and be a, a major contributor because he's never really been a major contributor um, at any point of his career up to this point. 
I think he's going to be a good player, but I think he's closer to a guy like Brian Robinson than he is like his brother or some other Jared Allen or some of the other comparisons I've seen out there. Yeah, but Jared Allen, let, let me put this into perspective for you, Bill. Just, you know, because again, sure. I do a lot of number stuff. But Jared Allen, when he was at Idaho State, had a 99.61 solo tackle score, a 99.51 sack score, and a 98.62 tackle for loss score. Now, it's Idaho State. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's definitely lower competition. But that, it, it, that's pretty dang productive. You know, like that's something where you go like, oh, that's pretty good. When you get to like a guy like Nick Bosa, he had a 17.65 solo tackle score, a 50 sack score, and a 58.65 tackle for loss score. Um, and even a guy like Brian, you know, uh, was it Robeson or I think you think you're talking about from uh, Brian Robeson, the tech of Texas and the Viking. Minnesota Vikings, yeah, and Viking lore, yeah, yep. Even a guy like that was more, you know, productive in in college. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's my again. This is my only concern. Um, and I know people don't like me bringing up these concerns because they think they're stupid. But I don't really think they're stupid. I think if if you're going to take a guy in the top ten of the NFL draft, you would want them to prove they can produce like a top ten overall pass rusher like a Von Miller, like a, you know, name a dude, you know, that's good at rushing the passer. And so far, out of every pass rusher in the last 30-plus years, almost 40 years, to be honest, um, he doesn't really look like any of those guys. So, I don't know, that's that's my concern <laughs> up to this point. Right. Well, as I, I They're say, unique. They're, they are very unique concerns, Bill. I will admit. They're very unique. I don't think you'll have anybody coming with this type of concern, but to me, I, I think it's a legitimate concern. Well, here's what I will say. I do like him as a player. I mean, this is a thing I want to make clear that despite the fact that... I like him as a player, too. Right. Right, right. I mean, I think that's what I'm trying to make clear, is that I don't think we're saying, even neither we're saying this guy isn't a good football player. What we're saying is, I don't think he's going to be some of the things other people might think he's going to be, but, it's not, but that's not based on the fact that we don't like his talent or his ability or his, you know, all the other things that people are seeing and liking you know, upside, whatever term you want, potential, all those things that people throw out there. I, I, I am seeing all those same things that you're seeing. However, when you see what his brother did or what Miles Garrett did or what Judavian Clowney did, more consistently, more often, it's worth mentioning. That's all I'm saying. It's worth mentioning that these other people to whom you are making these comparisons did some similar things, but did them, did them more consistently and did them more often. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think that's fair to say. You know. I mean, it's not like I don't like – I mean, and again, I know I haven't really put this to Twitter, which as soon as I put it to Twitter, I'm going to get flat, you know, flat right. Here, but Yes. Right. You're, they're going to flash your rhetorical tires. 
So I don't really care because we saw what happened to Randy Gregor. Of course, that was because of drugs or whatever, which is another thing I don't like. Is whenever a player doesn't succeed, they usually go to the the lowest common denominator for why. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think I just think with Nick Bosa, is he a good? Is, does he show a lot of stuff? I mean, the first couple games of the season, he was amazing, you know, but. Um, as someone who deals with data where you're, you're looking at how a player performs over the course of an entire season, you know, um, and you don't do that, that's just my main concern. I could really care less about the whole, you know, well, he's leaving the NFL early and, and there's this sort of idea that, well, he doesn't care about football and stuff like that. Um, I really well, don't think that's the case. <laughs> I just think it's a matter of he has an injury and it's a core muscle injury and core muscles. I mean, what people don't realize about pass rushers in general is that a lot of ability and balance comes from your core muscles. So someone who's a pass rusher, that's a big deal, you know, to not have your core muscles being 100% healthy. Right. Hey, kids, you know the reason that – Von Miller is an unstoppable killing machine, even though he's, what, maybe 249 pounds now, maybe? But why he's, you know, throwing your 306-pound left tackle out of the way like a bag of dirty, dirty laundry is because of his ludicrous core muscle strength and flexibility. He has incredibly strong and incredibly flexible core muscles. I wish they had some like back bend or something. I wish there was something at the at the combine where you saw these guys like how far can you bend to the side? How far can you you know bend over backwards and whatever. I mean there's he I got the great pleasure of watching Von Miller again recently and it just it just reminds you I mean there was a, as you may have heard or maybe didn't hear there's a recent controversy. When someone brought up Lawrence Taylor and 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 uh, and, uh, and Khalil Mack to to Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick swatted that down like you know like uh, King Kong swatting down biplanes, he he wouldn't hear of it, you know. And the comparison isn't super apt in a bunch of different ways. Mack is bigger, isn't asked to do quite as many things. People forget that. LT was a guy with nine career interceptions. So Mac does have a couple of interceptions in his career, but they don't, they don't come from dropping into coverage in the most part. Mostly they come from, you know, well batted or tipped right at the line of scrimmage. But he snatches out of the air because he's a ludicrous hand-eye coordination athlete. But uh, when you're talking about Derek Thomas, right, so, so the holy grail of the quote-unquote edge guys, right, Three, four outside linebackers, whoever, whatever you call them. You, it's people never mentioned Pat Swilling. He was ridiculous too, but you know, whatever. Sadly, he's been forgotten. But the Holy Grail, Andre Tippett's another guy that doesn't get, even though he's in the Hall of Fame, doesn't get quite enough attention. But the guys that everyone always brings up is Derek, or of course LT, Derek Thomas, and now Von Miller, and clearly Khalil Mack putting himself in that conversation. But what they all had in common, Jim, was core strength that didn't seem like it should be possible for their size. Lawrence Taylor entered the league at 237 pounds, Jim, and though guys maybe aren't quite as big now as they, as they used to be, 237 wasn't super big 
in those days either. I mean, outside linebackers were probably heavier in three-four defenses in those days. They were usually 250-odd pound dudes. They were big dudes. And he was on the smaller side, frankly, uh, even in those days. And he probably got up to about two, low 240s, you know, at the heaviest in his career. But he played most of his career, you know, between 242 and 237 pounds. And regularly. You know, so maybe the tackles were 320 pounds as often. But they were 300 off. To, the lightest tackling in those days was in the upper 270s. And the heavier ones were in the low 300s. And you might occasionally run into a super giant guy who'd be, you know, in the three teens. You know, Mandarich and guys like that. He played against some guys who were in the three teens in his career. But, yeah. But the point is that he was throwing these guys around, just tossing them around. Speed to power, people like that. But the thing that allows you to, to, to convert speed to power, and some guys can and some guys can't, I mean, people bring up technique, and yeah, I'm sure technique is part of it, but it's having ludicrous strength, where well, you can't see where I'm pointing, but from where your, your quads end and tie into here and your hamstrings connect to here and then up to here. So between your rib cage and your mid thigh being way stronger for your size that it should be possible, that's how you do that. Yeah. That's what Khalil Mack, Derek yeah. Thomas, Lawrence Miller, Von Miller all have. Mm-hmm. And Joey Bosa to a certain extent. Not fast. Good, you know, overall ability to, uh, you know, to balance. Same thing with Jared Allen. Same thing, you know, a lot of these different pass rushers. But um, I don't know. I mean, that, that's that's is, that is really only concerned with the guy like Nick Bosa at this point. It's film wise, everything you could want in a pass rusher is there. It's just the consistency through a full college season is not exactly there yet, and it won't be because he's not. You know, he's doing it for the NFL, so you, know, you kind of have to go from there. So I'm just going to keep sort of whipping through. Let's um, sort of whipping through. So obviously Michigan, Michigan State is, you know, one of the big hate games. And, you know, I got to watch live on ESPN the press conference that Mike Hart, you know, at the, the, the week prior, the, I guess it was the day, not even the week, it was the Monday, I believe, prior, or Tuesday, it was a Tuesday. The Tuesday press conference prior to the, the game, I got to actually see, you know, live my cart make the little brother comment, and I knew that they were doomed at that moment. <laughs> like, you know, like oh well, you know, you would have. You, I mean, not to say they would have won without it. I wouldn't go that far, but I knew that they were doomed at that moment. Like you can't say that out loud. You could think that, you know, and and obviously Michigan State showed up, and Michigan State never lets go of stuff like that. I'm sure he's gonna. Show it to the you know the guys on the team who were like nine or whatever when this happened. Um, you know I'm sure they're going to get a chance to see it as well so they can have their ire stoked. But uh, Michigan State's one of those teams that 
haven't quite bought into the you know modern era whatever you would call it. You know what I mean? I mean they do some things that are new-ish, but they love to play multiple tight ends. They love to just try to run the ball between the tackles and hit you deep off play action. I mean they they really are sort of you know sort of a Big Ten school from a quarter century ago to some extent. And Michigan used to try to be that, but now they aren't. Uh, but tell me about if there are prospects based on your data work that you think are, are worth keeping your eye on in that, that matchup. Well, I guess in terms of that particular game, uh, prospects, I would say Shea Patterson definitely comes to mind uh, as one. He's had a pretty decent start. I mean, out of the quarterbacks that are in this game, it's not Brian Lewerke that's the guy to kind of keep an eye on. Honestly, Shea Patterson. Um, he's someone who, at Ole Miss, played fairly decent, transferred, of course, and has played very well this year uh, against fairly decent competition as well. Um, he, you know, he's one of those guys that I would definitely kind of keep an eye on. May not declare this year. You know, it's always kind of a, a, a sort of thing with him, but definitely someone that I, I think you should definitely check out. Um, Rashawn Gary, of course, um, not really based on data per se, but just based on I've seen a lot of them last year and uh, saw a little bit of him this year, and he still kind of has that, that you know, explosiveness. Um, easily could be one of the, you know, one of the top kind of defenders or defensive players in this class. Uh, when it comes to the overall game, though, the the issue with this game, I think, for Michigan State is is, is Michigan is just way too. I don't know. There, I don't see a lot of opportunities for Michigan State to win this game because, as much as they might want to play the whole, well, we'll run down the clock and we'll like basically the whole like we'll run the football and do that sort of thing. Um, it's basically like when Alabama faces like Arkansas or something like that. It's it's the issue of like you, you're playing you have very similar offenses uh, to a certain extent, and uh, and and ways the ways you win are very similar, and as a result you're going to end up not carrying that well because your defenses are built to kind of deal with those types of offenses. So. Um, I think overall Michigan's offense is just way too explosive. I think the defense for Michigan is also too explosive as well. And I just don't see Michigan State grinding out and, and like, winning time of possession um, in this game at all uh, because I think Michigan defense is just too good to allow something like that to happen. So I, I think it's – I think Michigan will probably win, and they'll probably win by a decent amount in this particular game. Yep. Yep. So, other teams in the Big Ten that have, that have been fun to watch, um, maybe not great programs yet, but I think they're in the right person. Purdue, I, if, I'll just recommend to anybody who hasn't already done so, Watch some Purdue football this year. They are really fun to watch. Uh, 
um, miracle worker Coach Brom has David Blau looking not like a future NFL starter, but like a guy who should end up in the middle to late part of day three and could be a backup, which I never thought I would say. He has two of my favorite, uh, you know, people have the joke about certain guys being future, um, you know, I mean, you know, we were talking about the volleyball scene, and um, which apparently is true, I guess. That's how the New England Patriots find or put together their their uh, prototypes or ideas or thresholds for slot receivers. But we joke about the volleyball scene in Top Gun. Well, for me, I'm starting to sort of develop a, a sort of joke about future Kansas City Chiefs. There's a couple of those guys at Purdue. Both their running back, D.J. Knox, and their wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner, just try to get the ball in his hands wherever you can. Uh, true freshman, Rondell Moore, who is generally is 5'9". I think he's legit 174, but I think he's probably more like, you know, 5'7 and 7'8", or 5'8 and a quarter, maybe. But he's a 500-plus pound, 555, I think, pound squat guy who runs in the 4'3". He's one of the most amazing athletes I've ever seen. Ludicrously quick, ludicrously fast, and strong as the day is long on that chassis. It's like it's like going out and buying like a '73 Pinto, and then putting a 426 Hemi engine that's supercharged in it. You know, that's what it's like. It's like this ludicrously powerful, torquey engine in this tiny, unassuming little package. I. He's going to be like sort of the the linchpin of my all-emerging team this year, uh, Jim. Rondell Moore is ludicrous. <laughs> He's just ridiculous. Already teams are putting like Devin Hester in the return game and it's taking the ball out of bounds. So he's a guy that I, I cannot urge you enough uh, to check out uh, that team. You know, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, Purdue is going to be a, a problem as they continue to add talent. They don't they don't have enough talent yet, but that's not a permanent state of affairs. So yeah, Coach Brom. Once again, the only possible issue is some some team hiring him away. If I were an NFL uh, team that was more abundant on offense, he'd be on my list of, of guys. You always talk about Lincoln Riley, and not that Lincoln Riley isn't really really good, but I think Jeff Brom's doing as much or close to as much with way, way less than Lincoln Riley's doing what he's doing with at, at Oklahoma. Yeah, Purdue is, uh, I mean, David, I mean, David Blau has been another quarterback this year that's, that's played, um, Honestly, I mean, in terms of college football, he's been like a top ten quarterback just in terms of his efficiency and, uh, you know, playing against fairly tough competition as well. Ohio State, on the other side, I mean, you know, Dwayne Haskins has been great as well, statistically speaking. Um, like, he's he's honestly, like, Tua would be like one, and then Dwayne Haskins would be like two. You know, if you're if you're talking about just statistics, you know, in terms of explosive plays and uh, and that sort of thing. And then on top of that, you have Ohio State's defense, which is still 
decent, you know, even without Nick Bosa, you know, which, you know, even even if you don't take away Nick Bosa, you still have a fairly good rotation of, uh, you know, pass rushers there. I think they had, like, a defensive tackle there who flashed a bit last year, um, who is getting a little bit more um, notoriety this year well. But uh, I think Ohio State wins this game, but I think Purdue, it's not the same Purdue that we know. I think from last year to this year, I can, you know, I can distinctly remember the Louisville game, for example, last year, you know, against Purdue, and Purdue kind of held their own in that game. And uh, I think that's still the case. I think Purdue, I think Ohio State definitely won this game, but I don't think it'll be by some massive, crazy, ridiculous number. I think it'll be a pretty, um, you know, I won't say even per se, but I think Ohio State will probably be, only have like a one touchdown lead for a good, decent amount of the game. Yeah, I, I really, there are certain teams and certain things that I always circle. Uh, obviously, we'll talk SEC very, very soon as well. But I, I definitely, they are, I've looked at a lot of Big Ten football. Uh, Iowa is still Iowa. I mean, it sort of looks like, certain teams always look like themselves. Like, Michigan looks different. This is more like the same Michigan I see year after year after year. Michigan State still kind of looks like Michigan State. Purdue, it looks like a better version of itself than it looked like recently. Uh, Indiana looks like a better version of itself than it looks like recently. Northwestern looks like Northwestern. They're going to have a couple of upsets, you know, that, that don't seem very, very likely. But they're going to end up, you know, with seven or eight, eight wins probably because kind of what they do. Um, Oh, Nebraska, yikes. Um, woo! Woo, boy. Um, it's sort of like the Charlie Strong thing at Texas, but worse. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh-huh. the culture. The culture is being changed uh, radically and painfully. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. I Yeah, it's it's rough. So yeah, it's gonna. (laughs) Yes, please do. I I will say that the Northwestern game did show a little bit more. You know, showed a little bit more fight. Their offense was a little bit more um, explosive than it's been in the last like entire year. (laughs) Yeah. So they they showed a little bit more fight in that game. Um, it, you know, they took it all the way. I mean, honestly, they should have won that game. They uh, should have. But Northwestern finally that... win games, as I just said. Yeah, yeah, they always find – well, that's the thing they're going to say about uh, Trace – you know, not Trace McSorley, but uh, – Gosh, the Clayton other Clayton Thorson, he just finds a way to win yeah. games, right? Um, yep. Seems to be the – Moniker, because he just kind of does, you know. Uh, that was a game where they were having trouble moving the ball the entire year, and they end up tying it and then going to overtime and winning it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Nebraska definitely is not that great this year at all. I think a lot of it has to do with the quarterback situation. 
and, you know, other things. Because they have players who can play really well. I mean, Stanley Morgan Jr., for example, at wide receiver, really good last year. Yeah. That was fantastic last year. And uh, and they just can't seem to get the offense going for whatever reason. Um, they have an impressive young freshman quarterback, but he's been hurt. Uh, Adrian Martinez, apparently no relationship to um, to, take, uh, to Taylor Martinez. Uh, I consulted with Donovan about that. Apparently they just have two completely unrelated Hispanic quarterbacks from California. But, uh, but yeah, he's um, when he's out there, their offense looks pretty good. When he's not out there, their offense is very hard to watch. Very hard. Yes, very. Because, I mean, you know, I, mean, I grew up watching Nebraska, you know, just run the ball. I mean, that's what they did, you know, under Devaney. And they ran the ball slightly more aesthetically once Tom Osborne took over. But still, it was, you know, 68, probably the 32% run pass, even in the latter part of the Osborne era, and then they sort of lost that identity because, you know, triple option stopped being the thing to do unless you're Georgia Tech or a service academy, or, you know, maybe uh, Georgia Southern or Georgia State, I can't which one of those, uh, and I think Mexico run a sort of modified version of triple option that's a little more passing friendly, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a handful of teams that still do real triple option. And obviously Nebraska wanted to keep up with the Joneses or whatever and, and ditch triple option for pro style for a while. They had Bill Callahan, who I'm obviously with whom you are familiar, and had still the largest playbook I've ever seen any college football team had was that was the Bill Callahan era at Nebraska. They had this you know, it was almost like it was almost like, okay, I'm gonna take what John Gruden does at the pro level and try to do it at the college level. And not too surprisingly, they couldn't do it. Uh, they didn't have the right talent, and it was too much for guys who also have to go to college to absorb, uh, which, you know, was discovered much to their chagrin. So they sort of wandered around in the wilderness, which was so odd, because Nebraska, I mean, that, once again, the difference in our ages, it, I saw Nebraska be one of the top, four or five programs in the country for from the time I was born until I was in my mid-twenties. You know, for, for more than a quarter century, they were a really good football team, Jim. And then in the early yeah. 2000s, you know, um, or mid-2000s, I guess, Osborne steps down and they haven't been able to get quite back on top of that mountain. Now, they do feel like they've got the right guy in South Ross, and I think they might well be right. But he's, I think, 25 dudes or something. Have, like, I could be exaggerating slightly, but it's a big number have left the program now. Hmm. Yeah, that's never good. Well, the, the, it's a... Scott Frost has decided that we're going to pay the cost to be a better program, 
and so that means harder practices, longer practices, more, hey, you know, I need to see you guys more in film, I need to see you guys drinking more water, I need to see you guys spending more time in recovery. You know, I mean, it, he's making it, you know, like a job, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's doing. So apparently they've kind of gotten away from that, is what I've been given to understand. And now the hammer has been dropped back on them, and I guess some of the guys weren't quite ready for it, so it sounds like. Pretty much. I mean, and of course they blame the coach for doing that, of course, you know, like, wait, you're trying to make this program better? We want to, we want our, our five-star recruits to not leave or, what? you know, like, I don't know. Happens right, a lot. well, I mean, like I said, I mean, maybe it wasn't quite as dramatic as the shift in culture with Texas, but it's apparently fairly dramatic. And one of their senior leaders publicly in a press conference said, you know, you need to buy in or else, you know, they're going to make room for you or whatever and, you know, bring in somebody who is. And so some of the guys who, who have bought in aren't as talented, frankly, as the guys that were not willing to buy in. It's just, it's just a fact. So they've lost some talent. They have some really, you know, they're playing hard, as you said. The, the guys that you saw in that Northwestern game are a good example. They play hard. They, they, they want to be good. But they're, a lot of them are freshmen or redshirt freshmen or, or redshirt sophomores. A lot of them are not juniors or seniors. A lot of their, their, their best players uh, are or they're, they're guys who are playing the best, whether the best players or not. I guess it's two different things. But a lot of the guys who are playing well now are guys that are younger, not as developed, don't know the game as well as some of the guys who have been sort of pushed off to the side. Um, Northwestern kind of has a, a, uh, a bye week because they're playing the Rutgers spell at night to just, I know I've said it, I know I'm a broken record, but they don't belong in the Big Ten. I've said it a bunch of times. I believe it alone. But I don't see them ever having to the conference. Um, here's a sneaky, interesting game is Maryland versus Iowa. Maryland, despite all the storm and throng and things that have surrounded their program with the death of Jordan McNair and their coach, I mean, people talked about Urban Myers being gone for a few weeks. Their coaches may be gone forever, but definitely gone for this whole season. And Matt Canada and the staff and the players have pulled together, and they're going to make a bowl. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll be shocked if they don't make a bowl. And I think I was going to have their hands full of Maryland. I'll be honest. I think they're going to have their hands absolutely full of Maryland. I don't think I think they might win, but I think they're going to think they're going to be they're going to have a hard time doing it. Uh, the Badgers should be getting well against the Fighting Illini, though. I think this, I think this year, and I'm once again, I hope they're they're they give Lovey and more here, but I think this year you're going to see Illinois. Illinois is going to knock somebody off that that you don't think they're going to be. So somebody's going to get. It. I think Illinois may just miss being a bowl team. It's going to end up five and seven this year. But I think if Lovey comes back next year, they'll have a winning season. Indiana is sort of where I think. One, I think I think Indiana is basically a year ahead of where Illinois will be. Indiana is going to be a bowl team this year. I think they're a year ahead of of Illinois, and they're going to give Penn State some trouble. But I think Penn State just has too much. The town will pull away. Uh, Minnesota will get to four, get to its fourth victory. So I think they have a good shot at making making a bowl as well because they're going to roll over 
uh, Nebraska, though Nebraska will put up more of a fight than they used to. And as we said, you know, it's not really a trap game, I guess, but I would just caution Ohio State, though I'm sure they're not going to overlook Purdue. But it, they, should be, they should be a little careful, I guess, <laughs> with, that, with that game, as we said. Yeah. Oh, with which game uh, you were talking about? Oh. Is it a trap game? Oh, well, it's not, I mean, it's not really a trap game because I think that Ohio State knows better than to overlook pretty much saying that that's a game where oh. they will have their yeah. season cues. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's yeah, a trap game per se, but it, yeah. no, no, I it definitely won't be. They won't roll over them, you know. No. It's not going to be like Iowa last year. Right. And, uh, well, the ACC has some things of consequence. Obviously, one really big thing. Uh, so I want to make sure I definitely touch on, on some of them. Um, in a game of much less consequence, I think Syracuse gets his fifth victory over my, my Tar Heels. Um, here's a game that I really like for being interesting is UVA Duke. UVA, obviously, coming off the big upset win over the Hurricanes. Duke chugging along at five, quietly at five and one. Still not in some top 25, as I see. Um, no. Hello. <laughs> they're coming off an of upset too because they. I mean, the Georgia Tech game was technically an upset. Yeah, technically. Yeah. Most, most people had. I mean, it was close. It was like sort of a minor upset. It wasn't like a big upset, but it definitely was. Upset. Not, not everybody expected you to go into Georgia Tech and beat them. You know. I don't know why not. Duke's a really good program, and. They're not just doing it with nerds like they used to, you know. I mean, when Steve Spurrier was doing it, he was—he got the occasional big-ish recruit, like my old uh, peewee football teammate Carson Hines. I think it was a three-star kid from the Bulls High School in Jacksonville. But mostly, he was doing it with you know two-star and less than two-star guys when he was winning at at, at Duke. But that's not the case anymore. There's a lot of three stars and even a few four stars and maybe a Michelle, maybe maybe even a five star. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they have a five star. They know they have several four stars and, and mostly three stars. It's no longer a one and a half star program, but you have more like a close to a three star program. So he's not doing it with mirrors, but he's Coach Cutcliffe, I think, is still one of the finest coaches in America, as I've said. Constantly. So this is an interesting game because Bronco Mindenhall who was sort of an odd hire when he, when he came to UVA, is putting his stamp on that team. They look, you know, more and more like one of his BYU teams every time I watch them. But that should be an interesting game. Uh, I think it's a pick em, quite frankly. Duke probably survives, but survives is the operative term. I think Duke, you know, if they, if they make it out, makes it out narrowly. Um, here's a, a sneaky, interesting game as well is Florida State Wake Forest. I'm sure when the schedules came out, people, you know, back many months ago, people didn't have this with circles. Oh, you might want to circle it now. This is a watershed game to some extent Florida State. I don't think they're going to fire Willie Tucker if he loses this game, but I think people will start 
saying that they should fire Willie Taggart if he loses the game, uh, as unfair as that is. I'm not saying that Jimbo left the cover bare, because he certainly didn't. But I don't think people were, I think people completely overrated the level of talent, particularly in the trenches that Florida State had. They are not good. <laughs> they're not good. Um, they're, they're, their O-line and D-line depth isn't good. There's no two ways around it. Well, they have, their O-line depth yeah. hasn't been good for a while. Yes. Like, that's nothing new. No. Um, their tackles, their centers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Even when they had the championships, their O-line depth wasn't good. Their D-line depth was fairly decent, but their O-line wasn't um, much to talk about. But that, but that Wake Forest game is definitely interesting. Uh, that was one of the games that I, when I was running a lot of my data stuff for the week, it had Wake Forest uh, in the win column in that game. Um, not by a ton, but in, just in terms of um, the data, it had them in, you know, in the win column. Now, everything... Like every because it's at home, that's the big thing about Florida State is that Florida State typically plays at home a lot better than Wake Forest does on the road, at least so far this year. But um, I wouldn't be very surprised if Wake Forest ends up upsetting Florida State uh, because they do have the better overall indicators, if you will, um, in terms of the season. Um, Florida State may end up still winning it because they're Florida State and they're playing at home, but uh, I, I definitely could see Wake Forest winning this game. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I, I really do think that Wake Forest is a program on the rise. I don't know if they win this game, but I know, it's, I know that if um, Florida State wins it, they will definitely know they've been in a battle. I think that they're they're gonna they're gonna get a good shot. You know, they're gonna take a good a good shot and they're going to have to show they can take that shot. You know, I, I really like you know, like I said, I really like what they've got going on there and the talent is trending up, the everything is trending up there. And then of course the uh Marquee matchup, I guess is the term one would use, is clearly empty state Clemson. Uh, Clemson was my preseason number three, and they sort of hung out there number three. You know, they 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 sort of stayed there. Uh, I thought I had Georgia actually my preseason number one. Sorry about that. And then Alabama was my preseason number two. Uh, that's clearly changed. You know, and much to my chagrin, I've had to move Notre Dame up to number two. But Clemson's still hanging out at my uh, my number three, pretty much the whole darn year. Uh, what does the data tell you about these two programs, about NC State and about and about Clemson? Well. Uh, for the most part, Clemson's still a very strong football team. Trevor Lawrence he hasn't started the entire year, but so far in the short amount of time he's played, he's he's been really fantastic. 
you know, in terms of most of his – now, of course, he is playing on Clemson, so it shouldn't be surprising that a guy, any quarterback kind of takes over and does well. But he's, he's been playing as, a, like, a top-ten quarterback um, in college football right now. And in general, the big the big indicators that go for um, – the ba- that basically go for uh, Clemson in this game mainly come down to how explosive their offense is compared to North Carolina State, and in terms of uh, in terms of just their ability to um, uh, get they kind of played a little tougher schedule too, um, which also kind of helps them out. But mostly, offensive indicators go towards Clemson. The one thing I can say, though, about North Carolina State is they have a defense that's much better at turning the football over um, and, and getting turnovers in general, whether it's fumbles, um, interceptions, that sort of thing. And that usually is what causes upsets, typically speaking, is, is you have a team that comes in and they, they have the better sort of um, – uh, turnover ratio, you know, the ability to kind of force turnovers and not turn over the ball yourself. I think Clemson will still win this game because they, they have the more explosive offense in general, but if there are a lot of turnovers, you know, if, there, if there's turnovers on Clemson's side that go to North Carolina State's side, then this then North, Carolina, North Carolina State could definitely win this game um, because North Carolina State is, is, I mean, you got, you know, Ryan Finley and um, – who apparently is a first-round quarterback. I didn't know this, Bill, but apparently Ryan Finley is a first-round quarterback, according to some sites. I don't really see that, but I, I definitely can see how a guy like that who is very conservative with the football and does things from that kind of perspective can um, um, can end up, you know, kind of winning the game. But this will definitely be a very fun game to watch, I think. You know, this is, this is one of the, the top games this week because both these teams are very decent. Clemson's just a little bit more explosive. But, uh, but if there are a lot of turnovers in this game on Clemson's side, North Carolina State could capitalize in the in, in, uh, winning the game. Yeah, well, I think we'll all be watching that game. But, yeah, uh, it's a game that probably 30 or more NFL teams will be in uh, represented there. You'll see lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of NFL polo shirts. And maybe we'll see another, we might see another, um, you know, maybe another cameo appearance by guys like uh, John Elway, like we did to go see Justin Herbert recently. Maybe. So Denver really needs a quarterback. Yeah. You could use one of those. So, a conference that doesn't get enough love nor attention is the AAC. Uh, now, if you can do with the ACC. First of all, I don't think there's another conference that has many undefeated teams in it. They have three undefeated teams. There's only seven left in the FBS. <laughs> three of them are in the AAC. Now, obviously, if there's they, they, that won't continue, you know, forever, but it's impressive. Um, there's one SEC game, or one SEC school that'll be facing an AAC school. Unfortunately, they aren't playing, you know, UCF or 
USF or, or Cincinnati. Unfortunately, uh, it's going to be Tulsa versus Arkansas, which will not be so compelling a matchup. So we'll see if Arkansas, you know, can kind of survive that one. Or get but, back on track, as they like to say, that cliche. Right. Yeah. So here's the game that resonates with me. Um, another SEC school that's venturing against an AAC school is Missouri-Memphis. First of all, that's the over. I think if, if some reason you haven't seen Daryl Henderson before, watch it. I think he's going to go off on the Missouri uh, Tigers. So I think that's going to happen. Um, I won't be shocked at all if Memphis wins that game. Yeah. Not shocked even a little bit. Well, I wouldn't be shocked either because, I mean, the, this is one of the tougher games to kind of uh, decide on this week because the the overall like data favors Missouri, but only because they played a tougher schedule, you know, compared to Memphis. But Memphis, in terms of everything, in terms of completion percentage, in terms of points, in terms of the ability to create turnovers. Uh, their, how explosive their offense is. Every sort of other metric kind of favors Memphis in this game. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this game kind of ends up because even though Missouri could definitely kind of come in this game and, you know, and, and win it because they're at home. And, you know, like there's a lot of factors that kind of go into Missouri's favor um, in this game. But I still think Memphis has a very good shot to make this a very, very even um, football game um, and could even end up beating Missouri uh, because just how bad their offense has been and how poor Drew Locke has played because, you know, Drew Locke is um, someone that, based on uh, the data last year, was someone that really needed to take another step this year um, in terms of his efficiency and, and just his overall play, and he just has not done that. Um, and if he keeps playing like that, against a team like Memphis that's very good at, at creating turnovers on defense, then Memphis could just win this game just because of how many takeaways they end up with, you know. Um, so this could be definitely be a game where Missouri might implode at home. Um, and then, of course, the question becomes, you know, uh, who who potentially gets uh, fired you know, after a game like that. <laughs> right. Uh, UCF faces East Carolina. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be terribly interesting. No. USF, the virtual buy over Connecticut. Um, in the battle of the two and four teams, uh, SMU faces Tulane. Here's the other two interesting games in conference. Houston versus Navy. Navy, of course, is a pain in the butt to play for all the reasons that every triple option team is a pain in the butt to play. Nobody likes playing service academy teams. They're undersized. They play stupid hard. Um, you can't prepare for them. They do things that nobody does anymore. And these are guys, you know, who, I mean, 
obviously the team plays with a lot of discipline and a lot of effort because it's a service academy, kind of part of the job description. Houston has way more talent, and they're a 5 and one team that I think might lose maybe only one more game the whole season. They could conceivably be a 10-2 team. The AAC has some legitimate teams in their conference. Now, there's a big drop-off, I'll admit, you know, between the top and the bottom of it. But that's true in the SEC, too. I mean, that's not for business only a thing in their conference. So, yes, they have Cincinnati, really good program. UCF, obviously. South Florida is a really good program. I think they're ranked number 21 now. They could be ranked higher. I think they probably should be ranked higher. They're the best team in the state of Florida. That should be worth something. Um, well, maybe not. Second, I mean, we'll see. I guess UCF UNSF will decide who's the best team in the state of Florida. How about that? Um, but, yeah, so you've got Cincinnati. Uh, Houston, uh, Memphis, they're four and three. They're a really good program. UCF and like the South. That's a solid nuclear. Yeah. So if Memphis gets this win, that's another little feather in the cap of the conference. Yeah, it'd be kind of similar to when, uh, you know, Central Florida beat, uh, I think, uh, be ball game? Yeah. 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 It's, it's very possible. I mean, Missouri is not, and Missouri isn't even on Auburn's level, you know, as a team. Like, they're kind of weak this year. So, it would be, be very interesting to see how that game ultimately ends up. Oh, I could not agree more. That's that's one that's on my watch list for today. Actually, is that game? Uh, that should be. It'll tell me a lot about both teams, quite frankly. It's a very light schedule for the Big Twelve. Um, I guess it's almost like a bye week. <laughs> but uh, the only teams in action in the Big Twelve are Kansas versus Texas Tech. Uh, Kansas is better than they've been, but you know it won't be enough. But it's it's a better Kansas program. I think they might find the third victory at some point this season, which is, you know, for Kansas is doing something. Mm-hmm. If you can get three. And TCU is one of the, probably one of the best three and three programs in the country. Takes on Oklahoma. Oklahoma should win that game. But Texas, Texas Christian will make it difficult because that's what TCU does. Now, here's another conference that's sort of a favorite of mine, as you know, or may probably know. Uh, and they've already had sort of their big upset game when ODU upset Virginia Tech. But within CUSA, Conference USA, they have a couple of programs that are of interest to me. One of them is the FIU Golden Panthers. Not a loaded squad exactly, but there's a couple of guys I think will play in the NFL level on that team. Marshall's Thundering Hurt, as always, is good. Louisiana Tech has a pass rusher that I think is going to play at the next level. 
and has always had some good offensive uh, talent, especially at the skill position. But here's the surprise school in the conference. The one-loss North Texas Mean Marine, led, of course, by Mason Fine, who should be Heisman Trophy candidates, but, you know, probably won't be, but he's been really good. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty decent. He is really fun to watch. And they're playing the other big story in the conference today. So there'll be only one one loss team left in the conference after today because the Blazers, led by the person I would award Coach of the Year, is Bill Clark at UAB. UAB is five and one. UAB is five and one. Even if they lose yeah. this game, right? Even if they lose, if they lose another game somewhere else, if they end up nine and three, think of what an accomplishment that is. Yeah, for a program that didn't exist, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it existed, but then it didn't exist, and then it existed again. Right. I think their program has been dropped twice in its history, if memory serves me correctly, Jim. I think that's the second yeah. time they dropped football in the history of UFD. Yeah. Back from but the dead. Resurrected. <laughs> Perfect for the Halloween season. Back from the dead. But yes, they are yeah. a fascinating program. Built around some guys who actually hung around from the last time they had a program and just went to school, practiced on their own, hoping that they would bring football back. We, they have a handful of guys who are actually holdovers from their previous program. Not many, but a handful. Yeah. Which is crazy as that. And then a bunch of transfers. I mean, that's the program. It's freshmen, transfers, and a handful of guys left from their last program from three years ago. How crazy is that? Pretty crazy, but it does feed into the mentality. You know, it's a bunch of guys that want to be there, you know. So, you know, in terms of just perseverance, you know, that definitely is pretty high there. Yeah, I'll just say it. To me, that's the best coaching job in, I mean, the best job someone's done under the circumstances in the country. Bill Clark. Yeah, and I agree. And it's going to be a really tight game uh, between both these. I mean, both these teams. I mean, the only. I mean, they're both very similar offenses, just from the ability to. I mean, they're a little different. I mean, UAB kind of runs the football a lot more than North Texas. Um, North Texas is more pass heavy. UAB's more run heavy, but um, in terms of just being able to put points on the board, both these teams do that very well. The only thing that might help North Texas is the turnover ability. They kind of, they might be able to force more turnovers, particularly interceptions. 
you know, which could definitely kind of turn the tide of the game. But I think this is going to be a very, very close football game. Um, I think North Texas probably wins it. You know, Mason, mm-hmm. I think Mason fine, kind of finds a way to, uh, you know, to kind of get it done through the air. But um, I, I definitely think this is going to be – I mean, to me it's a game of the week because both these teams are very good. And, uh, you know, they're playing up against each other, you know, which is – I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of, I mean, every everybody wants to go for an SEC game or the Big 12 game, but this is definitely one of those games I think is very underrated because of both these programs. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think that, I think it's something, I think it's probably going to be, a, a, as you said, a really, a really hardcore game. I think I think that both teams are going to, I mean, I think they both got to know what's on the line. You know, I think they're both going to really show up. And I think North Texas, if they do win, in addition to which is the forcing turnovers, Mason finds going to have to really do some stuff, you know, which is what he does. I mean, you might see a 250-yard passing, 105-yard rushing kind of game, which he's capable of doing. I mean, he's sort he's of like, I mean, people love Mackenzie Nelson, and I, I love Mackenzie Nelson, but he's sort of like an even more willing-to-run version of Mackenzie, or even more uh, dangerous running version of Mackenzie Nelson to some extent. You know, obviously, people are going to talk about his size, and, you know, hopefully he'll at least be five foot ten when he's measured, but he's a heck of a college football player. Whatever happens to the next level happens. Uh, let's see. The other games in the conference are a little less, a little less exciting. Um, the other game that is at least of some intrigue in conference is FAU versus Marshall. Marshall, when it's all said and done, I think may end up being involved in the championship race in conference. If I think they're they're, they're a strong third, with Louisiana Tech being also in the running there. And then, like I said, there's a steep drop-off after that. UAB and North Texas are really good programs this year. Marshall and Middle Tennessee are, are solid-ish. Um, Florida Atlantic is also, you know, kind of has a chance to be bowl eligible, as is Middle Tennessee. I think Louisiana Tech's good, and I think Marshall's good. And then uh, from that point forward, and because yeah, it was pretty steep drop off, uh, UTSA and Southern Miss faced each other today in sort of a play-in slash play-out game for a chance at bowl eligibility. I think FIU is going to be a bowl team. Rice is bad. Uh, Old Dominion, despite the upset over Virginia Tech, is not a good program. Uh, I still thought they should have stayed in the FCS level a little longer. I think they would have won an FCS championship if they stayed there a few more, a few years longer. They were really building something at the FCS level, but. Whatever. Um, <clears throat> UTSA, like I said, is in that sort of play-in, play-out situation for bowl eligibility. Uh, Florida Atlantic is in sort of a summer situation playing Marshall. And Marshall is a bowl team. And Marshall has some guys. I don't know if you've studied them at all, but there's a couple of guys in their roster I think will play on Sunday. Whoever, I, I guess I need to, to check this out, but whoever they're, they're um, their DB coach, their secondary coach is, that guy's good. Whoever that guy is, 
That guy's good. Uh, I see, you know, once again, a bunch of, you know, two-star corners and Juco guys come in, and in a year or two, he has them playing really well. Uh, sort of some games that sort of probably missed most people's attention, but I thought it would be interesting to mention. Georgia Southern, another really solid program. Now, they're currently, I guess, an independent, I think, uh, as they recently made the transition uh, up. I, I think they're still... Or are they still... Let me, let me double check. Because I think Southern is still... There's still a Sun Belt. Oh, they're still Sun Okay. Okay. Yeah. At least for okay. the moment. There's still Sun Belt. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, they're, they're facing New Mexico State, a game they most certainly should win. Uh, the Chanticleers are independent. They probably will be in the Sun Belt. Uh, they're making the transition up from the FCS. And they're playing... UMass, another team that I think should have probably stayed in the FCS, uh, that should be a win. Liberty, speaking of teams I think should have stayed in the FCS, is playing Idaho State. Uh, for those who have not checked out Stephen Buckshot Calvert, he's a fun watch. And they have a couple other players that are worth watching. They have a good wide receiver. They seem to always actually have pretty, pretty good wide receivers at Liberty. Um, in a Mac versus Conference USA tilt. Uh, we have Miami of Ohio uh, facing the Black Knights of the Hudson, who are having a really good season. Uh, they're 4-2. and two. I think they might well end up being 5-2 and two at the end of this game. That's virtually assured of a, of a bold bid. Moving on to the map. A conference that as a whole sort of has to fight for recognition still and respect still. But is a really good conference at the top particularly, I mean. Obviously, the middle and the bottom are not always anything to write home about. Mm -hmm. But the better programs in the MAC are interesting. Buffalo, particularly, 6-1. and one. A lot of people have started to notice Tyree Jackson, Anthony Johnson, and uh, C.J. – not C.J. Wharton. Um, that's another wide receiver at another school. C.J. – What's that kid's name? Give her his name now. But they, they have two really good wide receivers. They have a, a very interesting quarterback. Now, Tyree Jackson should not come out. Uh, he should definitely come back to school. But he's got a lot of intriguing physical tools. <coughs> Western Michigan has John Wasnick at quarterback. He's another guy who's interesting. Not, not quite the raw, freaky athlete type, but a fun quarterback to watch. And then there's a bit of a drop-off. Uh, in terms of the fun factor, I guess, in terms of watching. Bowling Green's having a really bad year. So we just talked about Miami Ohio facing Army. 
Buffalo should have a fairly easy time over the Speedo Rocket, but watch. That'll end up, you know, being the upset game. But uh, Bowling Green, which is having a very much down year, is facing Ohio. Uh, the Ohio Bobcats should win that. Watch out for Ohio to make a run from this point forward. If you're sort of looking for somebody to watch out for, a team that looks like they might be out of the race to get into the championship, watch them make a run for the, for the MAC East. Uh, Eastern Michigan is 3-4. and four. They have a very good pass rusher in Max Crosby, who is uh, probably more people should be watching him. Ball State is... Uh, they, have, they can do some things on offense, but they're not... Yeah, Ball State. They don't, they don't have all the stuff you need to be a real contender. They've been painful. I mean, on offense, Ball State's been kind of painful to watch. Right, they have, but they have some. They have a couple of good players. The offense has been able to watch, but they have a offensive lineman I like and a couple of little pieces. They just don't have enough. Central um, Michigan is having a very much down year. I can't remember Central Michigan being this bad. Uh, in, at least not in recent years. They're one and six, and probably will be, you know, lucky to win. They might win one, maybe two more games. But obviously, they should follow Western Michigan, one of the best teams in the, you know, in the in the whole shebang, and maybe the best team in the West. Buffalo's almost certainly the best team in the East, and yeah, Buffalo. And then Akron, in sort of a battle of the not very fun, fun to watch teams, Akron is taking on uh, Kent State. Now, Kent State, despite being a bad team, has a couple of guys I think will play on Sundays, and Akron has. Probably another one or two guys I think will play on Sundays. But, yeah, the, the super fun teams to watch this year are Western Michigan and Buffalo. And, you know, if if there's any justice, they'll probably face each other in the MAC championship. But, you know, like I said, always watch out for Ohio to suddenly get hot and make a run and knock somebody off they shouldn't. Now, here's a conference I really wanted to talk about a great deal with you, with somebody. Um, lately, the AAC has been calling itself the Big Six or whatever the you know the, the Power Power Six, right? Playing for the Power Six conference. Mm-hmm. But the real Power Six conference, in my mind. Is the Mountain West. I think, in terms of sort of being compelling across the board, okay, so Boise handled last night, obviously, Colorado State, the game I watched, and, you know, Brett Rippon did Brett Rippon things. Air Force did Air Force things. Only threw the ball way better than we're mostly used to seeing them do it. I think they had a lot of yards passing. So it was, uh, you know, still obviously did all their triple option stuff, but now they threw the ball very well. I think they had something like 17 attempts, with like 12 of 17 for 215 yards, something crazy. It was, uh, it was shocking <laughs> how well they threw the ball. If they can somebody, if somebody can actually make that work, 
where they can legitimately do both. You know, that would be interesting to see. Utah State is one of the best programs no one people want to talk about. They're, I like Utah State a lot. Yeah, they've been playing pretty well. Well, I mean, when I think about how that program, I mean, there's some people who thought that once I mean, you survive some coaching changes, survive different. It's, I think it's a really good program. I don't know how else to put it. Really good program. I think they have some good pieces on defense. Some good pieces on offense. They have an intriguing uh, quarterback. It's just that's a fun program to watch. They should handily uh, beat Wyoming today. Fresno State doesn't get much love, but I think they're a top twenty team in my mind. Certainly, they should handle the. They're really good, Jim. I think, and I've said this, and I've tweeted it out a few times. I think the most, I think the most improved quarterback in all of college football may be Marcus McMary. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get good coaching, you know that can happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely improved. Um, and defensively, they're better, too. I mean, that was the one thing, even when Derek Carr was there, the defense was, eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've right. gotten better in that department. True. True. But if Fresno State wins the conference, which, I mean, isn't beyond the possibility, though San Diego State's really, really good also. Boise is obviously... Utah State. Yes. But, I mean, that that would be my money, at least right now, would be on Utah State to win the conference. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't have to sell me on Utah State. Look, I'm just saying, look at – this is one of the more balanced conferences in America, Jim. Legitimately, Boise, Utah State, San Diego State, and Fresno all have a legitimate shot to win the conference. And before I forget, Hawaii is six and two. Yeah. How many they are? Now, now, I would say that they haven't exactly played the, the toughest of opponents, but I they definitely. Yeah. Nice. But they definitely got. They kind of remind me of Rice in like 20. Was it 2014 or 2013? I don't remember when Rice won a bunch of games. I know it's been a while, but it was like a couple. Was that Sam McGuffey's uh, fifth year there? His, his retro senior year? There? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I and think yeah. so. But it was basically that year where Rice went for a run and, and, and beat a lot of their, you know, in conference opponents. And um, every time they played anybody really good, they lost, but they definitely kind of racked up the wins. You know, they, the schedule just kind of fit perfectly for them. But Hawaii's good. I mean, offensively, I really like Hawaii on offense. Defensively, not so much. But their their passing offense in particular has been very uh, interesting, especially with uh, their tight end-ish, you know, Ursua, I think. Yes, right. Yeah, Ursua is a receiver slash tight end, whatever you want to call him, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think of how many conferences have five teams with these eight, at least a chance to win nine games. Because they do. This is a conference that has five teams with a legitimate chance to reach nine victories. I don't think anybody, I don't think there's another conference that can say that. Legitimately, San Diego State has a shot at nine wins. I think Utah State definitely reaches nine wins. Fresno, I think, is going to make it to nine wins. Hawaii has a 80 and 50 50 shot. They're 6 and 2 now. Well, we'll see. They just have to um, pick up two, well, three. Right, right. And they get to, they get yeah, to play the one game because they're Hawaii, so they get to play an extra regular season game. But they've got a shot at reaching nine. I think Boise has a legitimate shot to get to nine wins. I don't think there's too many other teams. Um, yeah, Hawaii has Nevada. I think Hawaii could could beat Nevada. Yep. So that's one win. That gets uh, UNLV. I think Hawaii can beat UNLV. Gets them to eight. That's eight. But they have to beat Fresno State at Fresno State. No, nope. no, nope. nope. that's a loss. Utah State. Nope, nope, that's a law. And San Diego State at San Diego State. Oh, all right, well. <laughs> now, if they went to a bowl game, that's the thing. If they went to a bowl game, then... So if they beat, you, if they beat Nevada, if they beat UNLV, and they get to a bowl game, it would just depend on who they play in that bowl game. So uh, that, that's at least how I view it right now. So this will be, a, a, for me, a conference to monitor going forward. And I'm a big AAC fan. I mean, I, you know, as you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the AAC as a conference. But the Mountain West might actually be the most competitive conference of them all, and certainly amongst the, you know, non-Power 5, because they've got a lot of good teams. And, yes, I agree. Utah State's the one I've liked the most. I think Fresno's not far off in my mind. And San Diego State's not far off in my mind. And then Boise's Boise. I mean, that's – and like I said, we'll find out more about Hawaii, as you pointed out, as they get sort of into the meat of the schedule. They've so, so far they've been in the uh, – not the entree, but I guess the appetizers of the schedule. Uh, staying out west, we, we obviously need to talk Pac-12. Uh, the Pac-12 has taken a bit of a beating in the public perception. I was big on Stanford early in the year. I thought they had at least a possible chance to make the. I didn't have the. I didn't pick them in my preseason final four, but I had them as one of those teams I selected that I thought would be right on the outside looking in. They are now five and two, having beaten. The uh, very sturdy uh, Sun Devils, twenty to thirteen last night. But in a, and that's the kind of wins they're going to have to have. They're going to have a lot of twenty to thirteen kind of games. Uh, KJ Costello is a quarterback I really like for next year, especially if he can continue to get get stronger and uh, get better at using his eyes to move the safety and things like that. Uh, Colorado was. You know, sort of the flavor of the month for a little while, but they're five and one, and probably about to be five and two as they face Washington. 
Cal is facing Oregon State. That should be a win. That should give them a shot at bowl eligibility game number four and three after this. Here's, well, I'll, I'll skip over that game. That's the game where everybody's focusing on. Um, Arizona should probably sort of right the ship and get back on track towards bowl eligibility. Probably with a full, getting to four and four, which should be, which should be a victory over the UCLA Bruins. And here's sort of a sneaky, interesting game. Uh, and essentially almost like a play-in game into the Pac-12 championship to some extent as USC faces Utah. So let's spend a little time on that one. Utah is another one of those teams that almost feel like they're from somewhere else. I mean, they're in the Pac-12, which I understand because obviously if they, if they were in the Mountain West, they would get no shot at playing with or national championships, so they moved to a place where they at least have an opportunity to do so, even though I think it probably cost them a little bit in terms of, well, wins and losses, one thing, they're probably going to have an extra loss or two each year because they play in the Pac-12. And then uh, the other thing is I think it probably, I don't think it hurts them in recruiting because I think it probably will do about the same in recruiting, but they probably have the greater recruiting cost, I'm guessing. Um, it probably costs more to recruit with and against Pac-12 opponents and, and teams, and I'm guessing, than with and against Mountain West teams uh, in order to try to secure the talent sheet. But take me through how you see a Utah-USC matchup. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't really see it as well for uh, USC in that particular matchup because, I mean, Utah has had, uh, I mean, their offense is not amazing. I won't say that much. It, and Utah's never really had the greatest of offenses. But I just think in terms of their defense and their defense's ability to, you know, uh, create turnovers and from that from that kind of perspective, that's the only sort of issue that I kind of see in this uh, in this matchup is I, I think, and and not only that, I mean I know I kind of ragged on the offense, but but uh, Utah's offense has been a little bit more explosive than USC's offense uh, as well, uh, which is something that I kind of I wasn't expecting. But when I actually look at the uh, the data between both these teams, uh, Utah actually has a slightly more explosive offense um, than uh, than USC, and also has a much better defense. So, I think in this particular game, it, it's going to be a Utah victory, and Utah might actually have the bigger plays uh, because for for whatever reason, um, USC has kind of struggled a lot on on offense this year. I think that'll kind of carry over when you go up against a, a team like Utah that defensively has always been great, and, and they're great this year. Well, Utah has a quarterback. Now, he may not be a pro prospect, but Huntley has been – he's helped to create some of that explosiveness that you had just described or, or noted. He's a little like Manny Wilkins uh, in terms of – He's not quite as, as polished, but he reminds a little bit of Manny Wilkins and the things that he's able to do. He can get outside the pocket. He can stay in the pocket also. He can run both in design plays and read options and things like that, but also 
on called pathways that just break down and create uh, positive situations out of what would normally be negative ones. So he's a, a wildly underrated guy. Uh, and yes, uh, they're an underrated team, partly because they're you know, sitting on a 4-2. But if their team that could get hot and win five more games this season end up nine and three and you know probably crack the you know the bottom part of the top twenty maybe. So it's a big game for both teams obviously. Uh and then of course the big er games. Uh let's spend a little time on Colorado and and, and Washington as well. Colorado like I said got off to a hot start, but as you pointed out, haven't they played anybody. Now they're playing somebody's, uh, they're going to face Washington. A team that I wasn't quite as high on everybody, but I thought Stanford was the best team in the conference, as, as you already know. And Washington, I thought, would be what they've turned out to be. But once again, what does the data say about these two teams as they get ready to face them? Well, Colorado has the better data, statistically, except for the SRS data, which basically takes into account strength of schedule and those other sort of factors. Um, so Washington is favored in this game uh, because of those particular factors. But Colorado has had the more explosive offense. Uh, I mean, uh, Montez in particular has been, you know, very, very good this year. He's been one of the, you know, above average quarterback this year um, and has uh, pretty good receivers as well. Uh, which has been something that, I mean, Colorado's always had an interesting passing offense, and I think this is kind of a a a better uh, expression of that, I guess, this year. That you know, their passing offense has been much more explosive than it usually is. But I just think in this particular game, uh, Washington, even though they lost against Oregon, that was a game that really could have went either way. You know that 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 really was a game that you know came down to one really big play at the end, and I think in this game, I think Washington comes and does what they usually do, which is I think their defense will play a lot better. Um, their offense should perform very well against Colorado's defense because Colorado's defense has kind of taken a step back this year to a certain extent, and I think Washington ultimately will get it. Now, if Colorado ends up winning this game, I think it'll be because Colorado offensively just kind of ekes it out so like Colorado basically pulls a Oregon if you will you know like they're, they're just able offensively to kind of get a, a field goal last minute or get a touchdown last minute to kind of win it at the very very end but I think the the better team in this particular matchup I think has to go to, to uh, Washington and I think that's kind of what's gonna give them the win here but um but these are definitely teams that are not vastly apart I guess. Like, I definitely think it's going to be a closer game. I think some of the lines for this game have been Washington by, like, 10 points or something like that, or over 10, and I, I don't really... Yeah. And I, I think this is going to be a much closer game than that. I mean, if, I got, if I'm getting 10, I'm taking Colorado. I'm running to the window to take Colorado and get 10 points. It's a, I think it's a four-point difference between those two teams. But that's, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, the two highest-ranked teams in the conference facing each other, obviously, are the Oregon Ducks and the Washington State Cougars. And this is, once again, 
sort of a play-in or, or, more, or more to the point, a play-out game, uh, if indeed the Pac-12 will have representation in the uh, Final Four, which is obviously now very much in question, the winner of this game is probably the only team that would still have a legitimate chance to get there. Uh, because at the end of that game, they'll be the only team in the conference with less than two losses, whoever survives this one. Well, I mean, unless, sorry, sorry Colorado. Unless Colorado wins, wins that game. So if Colorado beats Washington and whoever wins, I guess, the Washington State-Oregon game, uh, then it's possible you could still have two one-loss teams in conference. Sorry about that. But Colorado's not even ranked uh, for whatever reason <laughs> at the moment. So they would have a, a hard climb. Uh, I, Colorado's not as good as their record. I get that. But they deserve to be ranked. Um, but but uh, the... Uh, well... I would argue, I know it's funny to say, but I, I would argue that I don't think any Pac-12 team should be ranked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're talking top 25. <laughs> I mean, as of right, I mean, as of my rankings right now, like if you were going to go, Jim, what's your rankings? I mean, Alabama would be number one. Hold on. Let's make sure I understand. So you're saying that there's not a single team in the Pac-12 that you would have in the top 25? I'm just asking. I mean, no. Okay. Gotcha. Washington, well, that is your take to date, I think. Washington, is, <laughs> Washington is like 26. At the moment. Okay. <laughs> so Oregon isn't even that, would you tell No, because just because I, I get tired of these, like, reaction games, but, like, just because somebody gets up on you and wins in a, you know, you know at home or whatever, um, that doesn't really mean anything. That just means that they've won that game. They got lucky that game, you know. I, I'm basically oh, trying oh, to do the rankings in terms of, Again, I'm not saying Oregon – okay, I am saying Oregon got lucky. But what I'm saying is I'm trying to determine which teams are going to win in the future, you know, end up winning more in the future. And I don't see the Pac-12 – I mean, Washington is, like, right there. Washington might go up higher, I mean, if they play better, if any of these Pac-12 teams. I think as of right now, I think I have Washington at 26. And I'm trying to see the other Pac-12 team. I think Colorado right now is 35. Wow. So, Oregon, so Oregon, where's Oregon? Where would Oregon fall? 45. Oh, wow. So, Washington State is currently the number 25 team in the, you know, AP, UPI, whatever. Sort of the coaches poll, sort of the, the what do you call it? The, the, oh, sorry. Washington State is 37. Oh, okay. okay. Washington State is higher than than, uh, than yeah. Oregon. Well, then let me say, let me just say this: it is a good thing that you now reside outside of the Pacific Coast area. Uh, you seem to not be popular <laughs> in the Western. I mean, region. I'm just saying, there's there's 
there's a lot of good teams this year. A lot, a lot of what's pushing those teams out are teams like Fresno State, are teams you know like Army even, who has you know been very uh, surprising this year. But I think yeah. they're they're playing very, very well. Oh, I, I, I didn't believe that if Fresno State played in the Pac-12 this year, they'd be right there in the mix with Colorado and Washington. I mean, I think they might not be quite as good. Well, we'll see. I think they'd be one of two or three best teams in the conference. I've always wondered why Fresno didn't find a way to fight its way into the, especially when they made the, when they decided to to grow the conference, you know, from the Pac-10 to the Pac-12. I thought Fresno was just an obvious choice. I was very surprised that Fresno State wasn't wasn't invited to join the conference. I mean, I was, I mean, Utah's a cool whatever. They're a cool program too, and everything. I'm not trying to be mean, but at Colorado, they don't feel like I still don't feel like Colorado belongs in the conference. But whatever. I mean, what happens happens. But I guess about, I mean, I guess Fresno State didn't have the cachet but I really believe that would have been a good fit. And it would have helped everybody. It would have been good for everyone. Well, whatever. Uh, so yeah, Jim, that was the that was the moment. That was the thing that I guess I'll, I'll have to tweet out later. But uh, yeah, that was that was a revelation. <laughs> I just, that was the thing I didn't think you would say that you said. Like everything else you said are things that I felt like you. Yeah, those are Jim Coburn things that I would expect. That's surprising. Uh, but moving on, there's other conferences uh, since the Pac-12 is trash apparently. Uh, so they're not trash. They're just <laughs> they're like uh, trying to think what they are. Hmm. Well, I mean, they're, it's not, they're not really the AAC. They're they are <laughs> maybe Conference USA or come par with them right now. Wow. Wow. So you're saying we supposed to do like a blind taste test to remove all the like obvious identifying information that showed you, you know, the the the, the information. It's just data, right? That's what you do. That somebody would not immediately know which was which is kind of what you're saying. I mean, here's the thing. I think ultimately by the end of the year a Pac twelve team will enter the top twenty five. Of my rankings, I think that ultimately will happen. I think the only okay. issue, only the only reason why things are the way they are right now, is because there's a lot of parity in the Pac-12, and a lot of the teams in the Pac-12 really haven't played anybody yet. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So moving on to the uh, well, I mean we have to talk SEC. Uh, we we talked a little bit about the the interesting on, on, non-conference possible upset. Um, I'm probably for at least not an upset, but at least I think we super. Close. I think Memphis might well win. I think that the the game will uh, against Missouri. Um, and then there's some pretty good in-conference games, obviously, as we reach the quote-unquote meet. As they say of the of the SEC schedule. So we have in addition to that game, um, and we already talked about Tulsa, Arkansas, which doesn't. Here's a game that is very much of interest to me, and I guess probably is on your radar as well. 
Auburn is facing Ole Miss. And obviously Auburn can use a victory. Uh, there's been, I don't think they're going to get rid of or do anything regarding their head coaching position, despite some, you know, there's been some smoke. It's <laughs> not fire. Uh, so I guess the seat has begun to warm under Coach Malzahn. This would help to cool the seat off, and the loss would obviously put logs on the fire. How do you see that day, Ole Miss and Auburn? Uh, I see. I see. There's a very close game. I think Ole Miss, offensively speaking, has been fantastic this year. The defense has not been as well, uh, but I have this game actually going towards Ole Miss. Uh, I think at home with the way their offense has been playing and the way Auburn has kind of been struggling, I think this definitely is a very good shot that Ole Miss ends up uh, winning this particular game. Um, the only thing that might put a wrench in it is if Auburn's defense plays very well on the road, which is something they haven't really done that well this year uh, for the most part. So I, I think that that's the only sort of issue is if Auburn's defense plays very well, then Ole Miss – definitely could lose this game, but I, I think Ole Miss uh, has, a, has a pretty good shot of winning this game at home. Okay. A somewhat similar game, I want to say somewhat, I mean, sort of structurally similar, a team that really, really, really needs a victory, it's at least in part to turn the heat off under their coach's seat versus a team that is seen as a better program. Uh, Kentucky's ranked number 14. Uh, they have one of my favorite running backs in Benny Snell. And Vanderbilt doesn't have a lot of name brand talent, obviously. I mean, once again, especially for an SEC school. Uh, but they have, I, I like Coach Mason. I, I think that's a, I think if he's given time, that program will win. I don't know if he'll get that time. Obviously, a loss would drop Vandy to three and five. And they're a little more patient than the average SEC school, but there's, some rumblings there. How do you see that game? Uh, I see this as a pretty easy win. I, want, I, want, I don't want to say easy, but I do see this as a pretty decent win for Kentucky. Uh, I think Vanderbilt definitely has played very tough. Uh, you know, the Florida game in particular uh, was, I mean, it was definitely was shocking at halftime, but then Vanderbilt kind of continued to be Vanderbilt to a certain extent. Like Florida was able to kind of rise above the uh, the potential upset and win, but I, I think Kentucky defensively and offensively has played very well this year. Uh, I think just in terms of my current, uh, you know, just kind of current rankings, I have them pretty high right now. I think I have them at uh, nine. I, think I view them as like a top ten team at this point. Um, and I and I think Vanderbilt. We'll definitely play a tough game, but I just think Kentucky, defensively and offensively, I think will get the job done. Okay. And probably the least interesting matchup, unless you want to count Tulsa, Arkansas, is probably the Alabama-Tennessee game. Sorry, Steve. Uh, Tennessee has clearly fallen among, you know, hard-ish times, but it looks like they're, they're probably the writing the ship, I'll say. I mean, this year is going to be sort of sacrificed here. They'll probably end up, you know, five and seven or, you know, four and eight or something. But, you know, better times are coming, Tennessee, man. Um, 
the only question is whether or not we'll see Tua Tungabaloa, and if we do see him, how much we'll see. Uh, that's really the only drama surrounding that game. Are there any anything you'd like to add in terms of particular prospects or data trends? Other than this is unbelievably matched for Alabama. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Alabama just does everything better than Tennessee, like, by a significant degree. I think it would be very similar to Arkansas. Um, you know, the Arkansas game that Alabama played earlier this year, uh, where they kind of just, you know, I could easily see a 35 to 10 or 42 to 10 score or whatever by, by halftime for Alabama. So, uh, you know, even though Tennessee got the win against Auburn, um, I, I still think that Alabama um, will come in and do Alabama things, you know, which is just kind of bulldoze over people offensively. And I guess the, the marquee matchup this week is LSU, night game, and Mississippi State. Now, Mississippi State has a lot of talent on defense. There's probably three people who might have a legitimate shot to go in the first 50 picks of the draft off of that defense. Uh, the issue is their offense. Is I mean, is, it reminds you of some of those offenses you've seen at schools that just can't really – I mean, they don't have the ability to throw the ball either consistent this year where throwing the football is unless you are a true triple option to be something you, you have to do at least at a reasonable level of proficiency and Mississippi State doesn't seem to be able to you know, reach that level, at least not since Dak Prescott's senior year, to reach the level where it forces you not to just pass the box. And LSU if they pass the box will stop Mississippi State. But once again, just tell me what the data tells you about that game. Um this is, I mean, this is pretty, in, I mean, it's a, it's kind of hard to say. Both these mm. teams are fairly evenly matched in certain right. ways. I think LSU, if you just look at things like turnovers and, and uh, points per play and yards per play, LSU definitely has the, the strength there, um, you know, on offense. But uh, I, I definitely see this as an LSU win. You know, when you look at everything all together, it, it kind of comes out for LSU victory. Uh, but Mississippi State can sneak up on teams, so I, I wouldn't put it past them uh, to kind of, you know, throw a monkey in the wrench. But I just think that uh, – I just think because LSU's offense is more efficient, it's kind of been one of the bigger things. Because I think in terms of completion percentage, Mississippi State's offense has been, uh, I think, 6.27 out of everybody in college football which is not that great, you know, um, in terms of, uh, you know, efficiency on offense. And I think that's going to kind of bite them in the butt in this game. Okay. Uh, jumping to the Sun Belt, uh, the Thursday night game already happened. Uh, Justice Hansen opened a can uh, on Georgia State. Uh, one of the better dual threat quarterbacks in America, Justice Hansen, somebody that doesn't get nearly enough discussion. And then in the games that are still upcoming, you have the Chanticleers, uh, once again, a, a former FCS powerhouse that, for whatever reason, decided to make the transition to FBS, I guess the reason is money, against the Massachusetts Minutemen, who were an FCS also ran, who decided to make the transition to FBS. 
Uh, I think the Chanticleers have little to no trouble with UMass. Appalachian State, I believe, will beat the Louisiana, uh, what I guess used to be called Louisiana Lafayette, which is now just Louisiana, just Louisiana, uh, confusing. Um, Raging Cajun, uh, I guess Southwest Louisiana, sorry, it used to be back in the day. And then Georgia Southern is a really good program. Um, they should hang uh, a decent amount of pain on New Mexico State and the Texas State Bobcats will probably go down to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, but uh, is there a particular team or a particular – is there any, anything going on in the Sun Belt that has caught your attention, I guess, is what I, how I would ask that? Well, I would say there's actually a couple teams. Uh, I think App State has played – I mean, just in terms of those teams in particular, App State has played really well this year on offense and on defense. Um, you know, from an offensive standpoint and from a defensive standpoint, they've been kind of um, fantastic, uh, you know, overall. I also think that uh, when you look at a team um, such as uh, Troy has also – now, the Liberty loss was – uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say shocking per se, but it definitely was not the best thing you want to happen. It's a program like that, but I do think a guy like Caleb Barker, you know, at, at quarterback has played really well um, for his, you know, conference uh, as well. Um, and he's he's been another guy that's kind of been playing at a decent level uh, when you look at the, you know, the overall um, uh, stretch of things. He's been playing pretty well. Um, and Georgia Southern has been kind of Georgia Southern. You know, they've been uh, – they're not the best team ever um, per se, but they definitely are kind of doing what they usually do. Um, but I would say the big the big development in, in, um, in the Sun Belt is App State. I think offensively speaking and defensively, they've been fantastic. And I would put them up there with – you know, the the best teams in the MAC or the best teams in, uh, you know, Mountain West Conference, et cetera. I think they have a very good shot of performing very well against those types of teams. Okay, got it. Um, I'll, I'll throw out one last thing. This is just, we haven't talked, we won't spend too much on, on FCS, but Dan Hawkins, uh, someone we've all watched coach uh, at places like Boise State and places like Colorado, he has taken a moribund UC Davis program, which had been good back in the day, uh, if you want to go back far enough. Uh, interestingly enough, the man, one who succeeded him at Boise State was a quarterback and later coach at UC Davis, Chris Peterson. Uh, UC Davis also had, as well, a few FCS programs to have a guy taken in the first round from their school, um, joining Delaware and a few others in that when they had quarterback uh, Ken... Um, oh my gosh, uh, name just had fell right in my head. Uh, in the 83 quarterback class, Ken, um, oh my gosh, uh, hold on, Bill. Um, back when they were still Division II, before they made the transition to FCS, oh, I can see him in my mind. Ken, uh, 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 O'Brien, thanks. Ken O'Brien, who oh. uh, went to the Jets. Jets, but, quarterback, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Ken, Ken O'Brien from the Jets, was from UC Davis. So UC Davis, had been good, but not recently. And uh, Dan Hawkins has gone there and 
You know, when you, people talk about Coach of the Year candidates, I, I don't see how you keep Ken, um, Dan, Dan Hawkins off that list because he's done very quickly what some people may not have thought could be done, period, but turns out that quickly. Um, so hats off to, to Dan Hawkins with what he's done at UC Davis. Uh, are there any other sort of final thoughts or words you want to leave us with before we, before we move forward and uh, let you go and let you watch a bunch of football? Um, hmm. Not really. I think the Pac-12 thing, uh, I, I kind of leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard to top that one. That's the mic drop moment for you, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, Thanks for right I now. Agree. I mean, next week it might change, you know. Right. I think it will next week. There'll be a team that gets in there. Got it. As of right now, it's you know nobody's in the top twenty-five. It's Pac-12. Good point. Well, uh, as they say, RIP your mentions, and as always, it's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. Uh, we will do this again soon, and and once again, I'm I'm very pleased to have you return to the fold. Uh, can't tell you how exciting it's been having you back. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon, my friend. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. That was Jim Coburn. My uh, co-host has returned from, well, from lots of places, Europe and a bunch of other places as well. And we'll do this again in one week. Thank you so much for all your support, your time, and your attention. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.